I'm Siham Sirene, and you are here for Better Conversations. My gut is that people are having a conversation and that maybe they're not particularly comfortable where the conversation's going, but they don't want to confront that. And that equally, it could also be that they were happy with the conversation at the time, and when they've had more time themselves to reflect, they then change their perspective. What it got me thinking about was there must be some other conversation that they're having with themselves. So there's the one they have with you and there's the one that they've then had either at the time or subsequently about the same subject. You know, a lot of the awareness that everybody has about mental health nowadays is that people are having these internal dialogues with themselves and that is useful to be aware of that because it could be professionally, it could be challenging because then somebody is changing their perspective or not kind of disclosing their full expertise or, you know, whatever that may be. Um, but also on a personal level, it could be that someone's having an internal challenge and that they don't know how to share that or deal with it. And I suppose it got me thinking that the absolute ideal, both professionally and personally, is that those two conversations are aligned and that what you're saying out loud is the same as what you're saying to yourself in your head. While we're gifted with speech, conversations, really good conversations, don't happen as much as we'd like. In this podcast, my guest and I deep dive into all the corners of what makes a conversation awkward and uncomfortable or warming and memorable. guest is Kate Rolf. Kate is founder of the Revels Office, which is a cultural events consultancy, and she helps organisations generate new revenue and through that expose organisations to different cultural experiences and reach new audiences. She's done some wonderful creative projects like transforming the National Gallery into a cinema as part of a sponsorship with beer brand Leather, setting up the most popular event of all time with Time Out at the Natural History Museum and running a star-studded event at Buckingham Palace on behalf of the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art. This was a really delightful conversation about the mechanics of conversations where Kate shares her techniques for keeping a conversation moving forward and creating deeper connections. It's very human, natural and speaks to her desire for meaningful connections. Great, Kate. So who are the people that you need to interact with on a day-to-day basis? So in terms of interacting, it's a range of people, really. So uh, there will be clients who I'm working with, and that could be one-on-one, or it could be that I'm one of a, a wider team that I'm working with. I have various colleagues that I work with regularly, so that tends to be other freelancers. And there's a couple of other people in my organization as well. And also, a lot of my work will be about trying to reach out to new people. So that's a combination of people in the cultural sector who might find it useful to work with a consultant to review how to be more self-sustaining or look at specific aspects of their audience or commercial development plans, right through to people in other sectors. So I'm doing a lot of work looking at how the arts can support the corporate sector, perhaps well-being, healthcare, education. Um, There's lots of different uses for the arts that I think means that they have um, more value. So some of my work will be about reaching out to people that I don't know to see how I might be able to work with them in future. 
Okay. What's interesting about that is obviously there are people that you know and you get to know through the industry and who get to know you as well. How do you approach conversations with people you've never met? So, I mean, it's actually one of the aspects of, of any job I've ever had that I enjoy the most. I really enjoy talking to people. I think it's interesting. So if, if I need to talk to someone completely cold, I mean, my preference is always that I've met them at some sort of an event because I think it's great if you get a chance to meet someone face-to-face first time. But actually, I do do a lot of work where I'll just get in touch with people on LinkedIn or by email and just introduce myself and see if we might be able to arrange a phone call or a coffee. Um, so I think generally my approach is to just be really open and transparent about why I want to talk to someone. Um, and also the situation might allow for you just to be quite creative and say, you know, try and find one thing that might connect the two of you that you can then use as a, a means of introduction. So I, I sort of play around with everything from a really sort of creative hook that I might use on LinkedIn to say hello to someone um, right through to to getting to know someone at an event and sharing ideas and 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 suggesting that we maybe go into more detail over a coffee at another point. Okay. And and in therefore, what constitutes for you um, a good exchange, a good first exchange with that new person? I'd say I'd say it would be especially if you've been able to meet them in person, but also on the telephone, it's about there being ideas shared. I think, I mean, I I also personally think a lot of it comes from body language and eye contact, that knowing that someone has kind of connected with you and wants to carry the conversation on and that it's not forced. But ultimately, as long as you've actually been able to have a back and forth and, and perhaps got the conversation from one area to another, so it's not just a sort of slightly um, simple exchange that it's actually got some depth to it and you've, you've had a whole conversation, then I think that shows that there's some sort of connection between the two of you, that there might be something you could explore in future. I think it's when you've realised that there's at least one piece of common ground and that could be a personal thing, it could be a professional thing, it could be a project you've worked on, just trying to find something that you have in common. Okay. And then you talked about what's important in a conversation, how that might look and feel. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I suppose I think I'm, I'm sort of a big one for thinking about respect in conversations. Um, I think that comes from, I think originally when I was thinking about conversations, it was this idea that you might show respect in a conversation. So especially I think when I was starting out in my career, I was quite keen to to kind of get get across that I really wanted to hear from someone that I had a lot of respect for them as a person and what they had to say and that I would listen to them. And I think as that's progressed, it's much more now about um, mutual respect. So someone could be of any level, any background, that actually you're, you're both in this exchange. You might have different levels of experience. You might come at things from different angles, but ultimately you're still just two people having a conversation and that as long as both those people are equal in the conversation, I feel that in some way you're all getting something out of it. And that might just be ha- having had a nice conversation for two minutes at a party, uh, right through to building a relationship with someone that you you work with regularly. Um, I think it's just really important that in some way you've both been able to exchange on a level. Okay, so the equality and the mutual respect is really important in that exchange. What do you think in yourself has developed or shifted that's helped you sort of maybe, I don't know if the relaxed is the right word, in into conversations? What do you think shifted for you over time? 
Yeah, I'd say the word relaxed is is quite key, actually. I think um, I think I'm thinking back to conversations I had when I was starting out my career, and I think I would actually probably just not speak up as much. I would be very pleasant and uh, very friendly, but perhaps when the conversation got deeper than just the sort of niceties, especially if someone was more senior to me, I think I would be quite focused on listening and taking their lead in the conversation rather than proactively being involved in it myself, which causes um, there's an inequality there because I'm essentially giving them the entire floor of the conversation and I'm simply responding. And I think as I've progressed in my career and then therefore with conversations, it's now much more about, I suppose I'm much more happy just to dive in and and try and find that common ground earlier and try and find, um, be an equal participant in leading where the conversation is going. And I think because I enjoy conversations so much, like that's a, an active role that I'm very happy to play. So nowadays, I, I sort of enjoy the fact that every conversation I have, I'm I'm sort of equal in that conversation. Um, and I'm not having to be so hesitant about waiting for the other person to take the lead. How much of that do you think is just gaining confidence and understanding and feeling very capable in what you're doing versus maybe when you started out? Interesting. I would say I, I've done a lot of training with people like RADA and their business training and Dramatic Resources. And interestingly, through that, as well as learning a lot about how you speak and how you communicate, some of the individual feedback was that I'm naturally quite a perfectionist and that I needed everything to be right. And therefore, I think probably when I used to have conversations at work, this is, I was waiting to be sure that everything was right, that everything I would say would be right. And so probably not only would it just be natural confidence as you progress, but actually I'm much more confident to be able to have conversations where I don't necessarily know everything and I might not be right up front. It's okay to be wrong sometimes. and It's okay to not know things sometimes. And I think actually it's that sort of confidence that has developed because it means that you can throw yourself into any conversation. You don't necessarily know which way that conversation is going to go, but you can just enjoy the fact that you're having that conversation. Um, So I'd say that's the thing that's really happened. The comfort with not always being right, but also allowing a conversation to go in whichever direction um, it happens to take. Is that right? Yeah. And having the confidence that midway through a conversation, you might say that you don't know or that you want to have a think about that. Um, That in a way, I suppose some conversations, you might feel that you're trying to control them and control where they're going to go because you've had that pre-planned. And that's the area that you're confident, confident in. And actually what it is now, I think is more about having the flexibility and being calm enough that you can sort of let the conversation go where it needs to go. And even if you're not prepared and you need to have a, you need to request more time to think about the specifics that you can still have the conversation. So sometimes I think, I suppose it's thinking about the content versus the structure of the conversation and that you can be quite playful with content um, and and still be able to have a a fruitful conversation. Yeah. And for some people, it's about being less self-conscious about how maybe that person is perceiving you and more comfortable with just that more interested and engaged with the content, as you were saying. Yeah. And actually, again, I think that's something I got a lot of 
out of the training that I've done is because in those sessions, you'd often work with lots of, you know, maybe a group of five to six other people who are all approaching conversations in a different way. And you'd be learning from them. So in those situations, actually, what you were saying didn't really matter. It was how you were communicating, how you responded. That was much more important and impactful to the wider conversation than the specifics of what you said. Um, And I think it's exactly as you say, it was actually building confidence that as long as you are aware of the different ways that you can communicate and how you can use those as tools, then actually that's what's going to see you through a positive conversation rather than focusing on the content and the detail. Yeah. And to a certain extent, I think also that as you're more interested and engaged with the content, it allows you to focus more on the other person, more on the people that you're engaging with and then maybe how the conversation is playing out for them. Would that be a fair comment? Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is sort of what comes back to that idea of mutual respect and equality is that for me, when when you participate in a conversation, it's key that everybody is present and that everybody is connected still. They're still looking at each other. They're still responding. For me, it's quite a negative experience if you end up in a conversation where one person's basically having a monologue um, or not holding eye contact or looking distracted. And I think you're right. I think you need to be aware of, of how the other people in the conversation are responding and be able to sort of work with that and, and keep people involved uh, because otherwise you'll lose people, in which case whatever you're talking about gets lost as well. Yeah. And I think that's key, especially for the type of work that you do. It's keeping people involved in the exchange. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean there's an end or a perfect outcome or whatever, but it's reaching agreement or understanding and so on. There was something that you said in your notes that I that really intrigued me. One, it was about that people may be having two conversations at once. Um, one with obviously with the other person externally, and then the other one in their own mind. Mm, Yes. I think it's just interesting when you end up having conversations, all these different conversations. And I've just noticed more, you know, I can't can't say how often I'm noticing this, but it just, I I suppose I was uh, prompted by the kind of questions that you were posing that I think it's noticeable when you feel like you've left a conversation with one outcome, um, and you think the other person has as well. And then suddenly, a couple of days later, you realize they've walked away with completely the opposite. I started thinking more and more about why does this happen? You know, my gut is that people are having a conversation and maybe they don't, they're not particularly comfortable where the conversation's going, but they don't want to, to confront that. And that, um, and that equally, it could also be that they were happy with the conversation at the time. And when they've had more time themselves to reflect they then change their perspective so all of this is fine but what it got me thinking about was there must be some other conversation that they're having with themselves so there's the one they have with you and there's the one that they've then had either at the time or subsequently about the same subject and I suppose I think it for me links to um you know a lot of the awareness that everybody has about mental health nowadays is that people are having these internal dialogues with themselves and that it is useful to be aware of that because it could be professionally, it could be challenging because then somebody is changing their perspective or not kind of disclosing their full expertise or, you know, whatever that may be. Um, but also on a personal level, it could be that someone's having an a internal challenge and that they don't know how to 
share that or deal with it. And I suppose it got me thinking that the absolute ideal, both professionally and personally, is that those two conversations are aligned and that what you're saying out loud is the same as what you're saying to yourself in your head. I just thought it was something curious to think. I didn't really have a solution for it. It was just um, that actually being aware that you might need to take more care over your conversations because it could be that the other person that you're speaking to has got something else in their mind. It could be that they're completely distracted about something else that's happening to them. And just be quite um, conscious of that and um, kind about it, really, that actually if somebody does change their mind afterwards, it might not be a negative thing. It just might be that they needed more time to think about it or to connect with that inner conversation that they were having themselves. Right. Yeah, I think that's really insightful. And I think just even having that kind of a reflection, Kate, I think that helps us in your choice of word there, kind, is really important because whether you're managing someone or you're managing the expectations of a client, it's easy to assume that we're all aligned after we've had a conversation and we've uh, you know, agreed something. And there's an opportunity to always, always to check in. You know, when you resume a conversation or you have a follow-up, you know, there's always an opportunity to just check in and say, are we still good with that? Is that, you know, has anyone had any thoughts subsequent? Because as you point out, people, you know, do reflect on things and maybe can't in the moment articulate their concerns um, or, you know, haven't fully formed them in the same way that maybe early on in your career, you were hesitant about saying something until you felt you had all the information um, to appease that need in yourself for perfection. Um, Some people just need that time to mull things over at a different rate than maybe was discussed in that meeting or conversation. Absolutely. And I think it's also useful to be aware of how you yourself, how many conversations you yourself are having. So for example, I'm aware that I tend to have probably two. I think I am the kind of person that has a conversation followed by some thoughts and they're quite close together. So it'll probably be in the same meeting, but I'm actually now aware of that to the point that if someone presses me for an opinion on something that I really haven't had the time to consider, this is in a situation where someone sort of jumps at you with a, you know, what's your thought on this? I've actually now learned to be able to say, you know what, I need a bit more time to think about that because that's just the kind of person I am. If it's time dependent, then fine, I'll, I'll you know, I'm very happy to work with someone there and then and figure out a solution together. But I'm absolutely the kind of person that needs a bit of time to think. Um, and so just by knowing that about myself means I can kind of manage other people's expectations. Um, and I suppose in a in a situation where you're working in a team, that's so important to be able to communicate and also, you know, adapt to yourself. But um, that actually that can be really positive because then at least people know where they stand and they know that they're not, that they're going to get a genuine opinion from you. They just might need to not jump, jump on you with that question there and then. Mm, that's brilliant. It's easy to feel under pressure, isn't it, in the moment when someone asks you, what's your opinion about something? To feel like, you know, maybe I'm supposed to be the expert here, which is why I'm being asked. Um, but actually, I haven't given it much thought or it hasn't come up in that way. And um, I think you're spot on to be able to articulate that and say, I need, you know, I'd like a bit of time to think about that. Can I come back to you? Is perfectly fine. But very often, do you think people feel under pressure to come up with an answer or come up with an opinion there and then? I think so. Yes, I think I've always been quite lucky in in my sector. The, the creative industries are sort of known for being quite 
supportive and friendly and creating safe environments for conversations. So I think it's probably less so in my sector. But even then, especially when people are starting out, I think there's so much competition, there's so much need to, I think there's a sort of ambition amongst a lot of people to, to push forward, which means that you feel that you need to have an opinion and, and probably quite a strong opinion very early on. And it's been interesting, some of the conversations I've had with people where I've sort of said, you you can have time to think about this, or we can discuss it and we can you know talk, throw around ideas together. And I think that that's a more beneficial way of working and and personally I think it's um I think it's probably something that other sectors are going to pick up on more so you know I, I'm very interested in this world where arts practice gets picked up by business organizations and I think that this is one of the key areas that this idea of communicating because particularly performers theater practitioners they understand how they can share and how they can communicate and and um, this idea of sort of always saying yes, you know, it's an improv technique, you know, of always saying yes to whatever the person's just said. And I think a lot of businesses are trying to move to a place where you don't have to force people to be immediate and to make strong, firm, definite decisions straight away, that actually there's a level of creativity and time to think. And I think a lot of that might have come from sort of creative industries anyway. And it's just bound to be a more... I almost want to say peaceful way of working, but it's just more uh, collaborative and calm, um, but still effective. It's not about wasting time. It's about using time in the right way and using conversations in the right way. Yeah, I, I love a few things about what you were saying now, um, actually all of it, but I see that there's a lack of time, certainly among in the space that I work in with um, scale-ups and so on, where things are moving at such a rapid pace. There is often very little time to just meet with some peers and talk about stuff. Now, obviously, having an agenda is a good use of time for meetings and so on. But there are moments in in your work where it's actually, um, I'd say, beneficial to just assign some time for thinking and exploring and being creative. As, uh, as one of my clients once said, you never know what's going to come out of the conversation. And when they've had those types of conversations, they've been really delighted at what came out of it by taking away some of the pressures of having to deliver, having to solve, having to, you know, uh, come up with a, a result um, at the end of a certain time frame. And so, and I agree, I think there's a lot to learn from the arts. I hope more of that infuses the business world because there isn't, it's really important to exchange. And I think in, in the hurriedness of trying to grow businesses, we forget that actually some of the best stuff happens when we can slow down and just be in each other's company and allow a conversation to flow. And yes, that can be facilitated, but equally, don't some of us have some of our best conversations when we are sort of idly conversing? Absolutely. And I think because so many different businesses and sectors are talking about storytelling now and the conversations that they have with their clients, which is it's all brilliant and I, I think it's very positive, but you actually have to practice what you preach. You, you can't go around saying you're excellent storytellers if you don't actually have time to have conversations with your customers or conversations with your staff. So I think that's key. Right. Who has been an inspiration to you in terms of your own conversation style? Well, um, probably said it again, but um, definitely the, the training I've had from Dramatic Resources and RADA absolutely fundamentally been so useful for all types of conversation. And that has, um, so that's the individual trainers, the organizations that have been involved there, just because 
they really get you to understand that conversation is really not about the words, that the words have to come. And it is important you understand what you're talking about. But it is also about how you feel comfortable, how your body feels comfortable, eye contact, how you're using your voice. I think that's um, those people that were involved in that training have been very um, inspiring for me. It's sort of anyone you meet, really. I've had managers that I've thought were excellent at not only expressing their own thoughts, uh, but also cutting right through my own. I used to be a great one for waffling. I probably still am. And there were managers that learned very quickly to remind me about that and help me to be able to express myself in a simpler way. Um, but also there have been members of my team, colleagues, peers, they're just people that are just, I suppose it's people that seem very confident in in how they speak. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they were confident people. It was more that there was something very grounded about how they were communicating that was very true to themselves and true to their personality. So I've definitely got people in my mind that I've been in my team um, who I would almost be sitting there taking notes thinking, well, it's fascinating how they're presenting that idea in that meeting or uh, I love the fact that they just get up and present to 50 people, even though, you know, they're starting out in their career and, you know, there's so much energy there. So there's little pieces that I've been inspired by different people. But fundamentally, I've what I've learned through all of these different mechanisms is trying to figure out what works for you because you can't just copy people. You can copy a bit to give you confidence, but you also have to find what what connects with you and and makes what you're saying sound like you rather than you're making it up as you go along we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back right after this better conversations we all want to have them at work have you often felt that your colleagues haven't always received your communication in the way you'd like or that you struggle to express yourself clearly on issues that matter when someone can communicate with clarity confidence and empathy their team becomes inspired. As leaders, part of helping our team to do their job effectively is to motivate and guide our people to deliver on their goals. And when we're equipped with coaching and communication skills, it provides a platform to be our strongest and most confident self, a leader everyone trusts. Did you know it's the number one skill that sets the top leaders apart from the rest? That's why we've created a 12-week online course hosted by executive coach Siham Cyrene, helping you to navigate those meaningful conversations with skill and compassion. Enroll today at leaderswhocoach.today. What would people say, people who know you well, um, not to put you on the spot too much, what would people say about you? Um, in the way, what's the impression people take away, do you think, from a view? I've heard, well, I think people generally find me quite approachable, quite friendly, sort of known for being able to bound up to people and just have a conversation. And, you know, it doesn't really matter what level they are. Um, but having said that, I would say I still give the impression of having a bit of this idea of um, um, sort of respect. So, you know, if, if someone is senior or I've not met them before, you know, there is a certain degree where I'll be initially quite respectful in a conversation and, and polite and trying to mix. I'd say people think I am quite quite a mix of sort of professional, but also 
friendly. But I, I suppose the biggest thing that I found interesting was somebody once gave me feedback that that I didn't say much. I didn't say as much as others in meetings and conversation. But when I did speak, it was very relevant and I hope useful. So I suppose that might be coming back to that idea of listening and then and then really making sure I know I'm confident in what I'm saying. Uh, but it would also probably be because I am. I'm trying to listen. I'm trying to hear what other people's thoughts really are. And that idea of having a bit of time myself to think it over. Because I think what I feel very strongly about is making sure that no matter what I'm saying is that I, I do really believe in it. That I'm not going to say something that I don't believe in. So that might be why some people think that I, I don't speak up in the first instance. No, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's it's hard to talk about how we think others uh, perceive us or how they read us. And and I think different circumstances can bring out different aspects of our personality. And as you say, if you find yourself with someone quite senior or um, who you have a great deal of respect for or is maybe well known in their sector and so on, has, has a persona, that means we might adapt who we are um, in that moment. And in a good way and sometimes in an unhelpful way, self-censor ourselves. If we become a little bit more reserved in situations, you know, maybe a little bit out of our comfort zone um, compared to situations where we know everyone in the room. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's interesting because I think sometimes my default used to be almost like a service level conversation. That if I if I um, was walking into a, a situation with very senior people, because you know I, I was someone that had lots of Saturday jobs when I was growing up, it was all about you know receptionists and working at the coffee barista. It was all about being friendly and you know quick chit chat and making someone feel valued. That I'm very very good at um, that kind of warming but simple chit chat. And I used to watch other people that could go into that same meeting, so senior people, people that they didn't know, and immediately talk to them on a level and be able to have a genuine conversation, no matter what that was about. And I used to watch that and think that's so much more effective than polite, distant chit-chat. It's so much more memorable and impactful. Um, So nowadays, I challenge myself to make sure I don't fall back into those bad habits and can just try and have a genuine conversation with someone, no matter who they are. And obviously appropriate to the situation, but um, I think it's a better way of speaking. So... Can you describe the best conversation you've ever had? What that looked like? What that felt like? <laughs> the best conversation. I mean, I would say I've. I really love conversations which end up being, sort of talking for the joy of conversation. So some of my closest friends, um, I think we we have these brilliant moments where sort of not very deliberately, but we've ended up getting into a really deep, lengthy conversation about something completely obscure. And this isn't sort of high academia, um, you know, political. It's never anything like that. It's always something really light, (laughs) probably quite silly. But we talk about it for a long time. And you start, you know, halfway through the conversation, you realise you just it's just interesting to talk to each other and bounce these silly ideas across one another and actually you can end up in some fascinating you know areas of linking you know a conversation that started about your holiday to an interesting sort of cultural thing you've noticed that takes you over to food and drink and 
but it doesn't really matter what you're talking about. You're just enjoying bouncing these ideas off each other. And I think probably is that idea of an exchange that I'm enjoying so much because no one person Mm. is having a monologue. It's two people in that conversation, listening to each other, sharing ideas. And I, I just think that's so enjoyable. Um, and very relaxing when you realize, and, and it makes you feel very connected to that person. If you can sit there and have a genuinely long conversation with one other person about nothing in particular, I think that's quite refreshing sometimes because often people mm. in conversations, especially social conversations, you feel like you need to be talking about successes or things you're aspiring to do, or, you know, it's all about, it's almost like ticking boxes of have we talked about family, have we talked about work, have we talked about your next holiday. And that's lovely. And those conversations are also very important. But when you can put all that to one side and just talk about something completely random, um, I think you end up having this really nice exchange with somebody. In what you were describing, I heard the, the words that popped into my head were things like trust, a certain level of vulnerability because when you talk about you know you can be silly with people and just you know just be whether it's a play on words or just some silly thoughts and ideas that you're exchanging or riffing off each other there's a massive amount of trust in that you know that's this is where we're at this is the space that we're you know that we're hanging in for the moment and it's lacking in judgment and it's more about just being playful and uh, interested and excited in what each other is sharing and and how the energy is um, building. Yeah, absolutely. And it, you know, I think that's, those are all exactly terms that I agree with. And, and, you know, a close friend of mine does improv comedy. And when I watch them on stage, I'm always in awe that they can just stand up there with nothing pre-planned and bounce off each other. And I suppose it is a similar feeling when I'm having these one-to-one conversations because it is that idea that you're kind of playing a game with each other. Um, and the game is simply to have a conversation. So, and that requires that same level of trust and um, kind of cooperation as well. Hmm. Comfort in our skin, isn't it? Wherever you're at, it's okay. And even if it's an uncomfortable thought or feeling that you can express it um, and share that with the person you're with. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that meander, right? That you uh, you haven't got an agenda. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so not to, um, I, I do have a question about what your worst conversation is, um, but rather than a particular conversation, maybe, what do you think are the characteristics for make that make for an uncomfortable, unpleasant kind of conversation that you'd rather have. Can this can this wrap up quickly so I can leave? What what would be the traits or characteristics of just an, a not a good conversation? I mean, I think for me it is it's situations where for whatever reason the other person you're speaking with just doesn't really want to be part of it. So um, particularly. Um, I, th- I think I find it most uncomfortable when it's someone that is in some way senior to you who, or, or someone that's meant to be supporting you who just doesn't want to, to hear the conversation. So either that means they're cutting you off or um, they're sort of throwing lots and lots of questions at you and not really like letting you have the space to, to say your piece. Um, so again, for me, it comes back to that idea of balance. It's, it's any conversation where you're just completely out of balance with the other person. And um, and I, I suppose what I 
found interesting was once I was speaking to uh, my father-in-law, who's an excellent teacher, and it came up in conversation that he won't ever say to a, a child in the class that they're, he won't ever say no, and he won't ever say wrong. And this is even if like they are wrong, <laughs> you know, teaching history, so it might just be wrong. And he still won't ever use those two words. And it really occurred to me that part of the reason I find those conversations so uncomfortable is when somebody else is is saying no or wrong to me. And that might be verbally or it might be because they're not holding eye contact or because they're throwing, you know, questions at me or they're being aggressive, whatever it is. And I thought it was really interesting because it, it made me reflect on my own conversations. And I think I'm generally quite a warm person and I like to hear people out, but I'm absolutely sure I've been guilty of saying no um, or that's wrong without meaning to before I became aware of it. And you, and you really might not mean to, it just might be, you're, you know, in a, throwing ideas around and anyway, it might just come out. So I started to become really conscious of that and just wherever I possibly could get people to, you know, ask people to reframe things or ask people to, um, you know, say, yes, but have you considered this other perspective or, you know, can you hang on to that thought? So much more positive ways of, of helping a conversation to move on. Because if you use no or wrong, however you use it, it's going to shut a conversation down. And all that does is make the other person feel pretty bad about themselves. So I think um, the conversations I, I avoid are ones which which don't give people that that mutual respect and which shut things down and and leave people feeling like things have been left unsaid. Um, I'd say those are probably the, the, the worst side. And what you've pointed to there is is the responsibility on us as the person, you know, as a person involved in that conversation, the part that we play to keep the conversation going, to keep it moving forward, to keep people listening. And that requires us to do the same, right? It requires us to keep listening, um, encourage the conversation, help people think a few steps on or think about something in a different way without making them wrong about, you know, the opinion they currently hold. So, so yeah, I, I, I totally agree with, um, with those things. And I think that sometimes it comes down to some people don't intend to come off that way. But, you know, when we're under pressure or we're feeling stressed, we can easily default to that um, without being aware because we, we're, not as, we're not regulating or not self-monitoring in the same way. Absolutely. And I would say pretty much 100% of the time that I've had a conversation like that, the other person isn't really to blame that they're just under a lot of pressure themselves. And, and I think another thing that I've learned from many different sources is that actually when you're in those situations, and even if you are on the receiving end of this, you also have a, a sort of responsibility to yourself to help protect yourself from the negative feelings that come out of that, that you need to allow um, a bit of compassion for the other person for thinking about their situation but also you have it within you to change the direction of that conversation. That there are lots of different techniques you can use that if you are getting shut down in that way, to try and pause the conversation, move around that blockage, actually confront that blockage, whatever you need to do, but actually just walking away and feeling hard done by probably isn't the best solution for you. And it's probably not the best solution for the other person either. Um, so there's a certain degree of ability mm. even when you're on the receiving end to try and tackle that issue as well yeah fair point how might you counsel someone to do that what might they say one of the tricks that i personally use because i am the kind of person that needs time to think 
and to collect my thoughts is this idea that if, um, well, first of all, that it's okay to say you need to come back to somebody. So again, this is this idea of perfectionism. It's absolutely okay in a conversation to say, look, that's a new idea. I personally need a bit more time to think about that. But also this idea of sort of mentally catching their questions and holding it yourself. Um, I think a lot of people and myself included are quite afraid of silences and conversations and actually trying to learn to be okay with those silences while you're having a think um, is is quite useful. It means that you're better prepared, you're better. Um, and it also is quite, it shows the other person you're really thinking about what they've said. So I think those are two things that I would do is, is sort of catching thoughts and, and allowing time to be quiet, to think about them, but also verbally explaining you might just need a bit more time. Mm. You mentioned earlier one of your habits was to waffle. How are you countering that? What are you doing to try and... Because I think all of us are guilty of waffling and it can be, you know, you can be a preamble as you're trying to gather your thoughts um, or you can find yourself in the moment unguarded feeling that um, you have to say something. What do you do to manage that tendency? I suppose I've become aware of it so i i notice quicker when i've got onto maybe like the third loop of saying the same thing in a different way <laughs> and you know, like you go on six loops and nowadays i yeah. only let it go on for like two and a half loops and i suddenly realize what i'm doing and i and i draw my points to a close um so i suppose that's just simple self-awareness and and again i suppose a confidence thing i think part of the reason why i was letting those loops go on was that maybe I was scared of the silence that would come on afterwards, or maybe I felt I hadn't got my point across. Uh, so now I, I suppose I have to give myself the confidence of just letting that point drop and then continuing. Preparation to some degree in certain conversations. I actually quite enjoy conversations that go unprepared. I sometimes feel that they can be more genuine um, as long as sort of everybody knows the basics. But if it's a situation where I really mm-hmm. know I could get lost in my own thoughts or in their thoughts, then I might do some preparation. So really making some clear bullet points of the points I want to get across just to keep yourself focused. And I mean, I suppose those are the basics, but, um, you know, also I suppose just making a joke of it. Like when you realize you've done it, <laughs> um, just joke, you know, I'm a waffler, you know, sorry about that. I went on a bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like making sure you're keeping aware of the people you're speaking to because they're going to give you the signal. Like if they've lost interest and are looking away from you and like that's the signal you've gone on too long. So you need to um, be mindful of that audience so that you know when to stop and when to to free up the floor to them. Right. And it's very human too. I like what you said. You know, it's it's okay to apologize and say, sorry, I'm what, you know, because we, we are, like I said, we all do it, right? We all have habits in conversations and, um, but uh, it, it shows our humanity. I think if we can laugh about it and pick up on it and uh, people are generally quite forgiving <laughs> when, you know, when you find ourselves like that. And I, I had a friend who, um, would always say he, he was fascinating. He was such an interesting guy, really funny. And always about two minutes into a conversation, well, maybe that's exaggerating, maybe, you know, five minutes, whatever into the conversation, he'd say, Oh gosh, sorry, I'm, I'm going on a bit, aren't I? And he never was. He always said it way, way before anyone would even think of being bored by what he was saying. But there was something so endearing about him saying that. And also what it did was it gave 
the other person the opportunity to join the conversation in whatever way they wanted. So either to say, no, absolutely go on or no, not at all. But, you know, I've had this thought. So he immediately gave someone a way in or out of the conversation. And I'm not saying that that's perfect every time, but um, it certainly didn't do any harm to the conversation, having the other person just acknowledging, do you want to chip in here? Have I gone on too long? You know, it, it really was quite. It's a perfectly good and reasonable thing to do and say. And I think a lot of us are um, frightened of starting a conversation in case, you know, we find ourselves quickly out of our depth or, you know, we know that we can get carried away with our own enthusiasm about something. But these little phrases of being able to backtrack or pause a conversation are really helpful and make for a much more natural rhythm to a conversation because effectively what you're doing is checking in. You're just saying, you know, are we, is this, is this still valid? Do you want to hear more? Are we focused on the right stuff? Um, and it allows, f- you know, for a bit of course correction if you're in a uh, work setting um, or just a, just a, you know, hey, I'm probably had enough of this topic or, you know, and I just got overly enthusiastic as we all can, right? But I think these little phrases and things are great things to do. And if equally in the same way that, you know, you start off saying something and it doesn't come out the right way or it doesn't land the way you expected, it's okay to say, uh, that's not really what I meant now I've said it or, yeah. <laughs> you know, or backtrack or have another go at saying it again. And I suppose on a similar vein that actually, you know, it's very easy, especially if you do have a tendency to waffle, to lose your thread. And that can be quite scary if depending on the situation you're in. And again, this is another thing I've, I've learned from other great conversationalists is having the ability to sort of stop and say, ah, I've lost my train of thought. (laughs) Uh, Let me see if I can get it back. And, Mm -hmm. you know, to most people that sounds so terrifying. They might even think it's unprofessional. And actually, I've seen some great leaders say that. And it's simply just because they got a bit over, you know, over enthusiastic. And that's a really great quality. And by admitting what was happening and taking a moment, they can then recatch it. And that's completely human as well. And I think that comes back to your point about conversations trying to be more and more human because that's going to be a much more positive exchange. Hmm. So what do you think, Kate, is important for getting people to understand your perspective? I think a big part of it is knowing what your perspective is or acknowledging that maybe you don't have a definite one, but you know, you're sharing a, a few thoughts. I think it's about being clear about what you're trying to share. Um, and I suppose the reason why I pick that up is that um, I think a lot of the time when you're trying to get your point across, you need to be specific. Um, and that's where the waffling comes in is you're not being very specific if you're waffling. So I think it's about making sure that if from your starting point, you're trying to be as focused as possible. But depending on how the conversation goes, if it ends up being more of a sort of sharing of ideas or, you know, the conversation flows somewhere that you weren't expecting that... Um, that you can then sort of express that this isn't necessarily a clear, well format, well thought through point, but these are the kind of points I'm trying to make. And I do think a big part of it is about making sure that you've you've already connected with the person you're speaking with in a human to human level before you're getting to the specific points. Because it, I mean, I suppose it's like this idea that one of the worst exchanges that a lot of people might talk about is when they're just getting sold at, you know, out of the blue, pick up the phone, someone's trying to sell you something. And it's such an unpleasant exchange because it's so unhuman. Like who would 
who would have that conversation? <laughs> That's not normal. <laughs> you know, it sounds like a robot. Right. And the other person hates it as well. And, and you know that. And actually, if in some way you can have had just a really quick, genuine human exchange first, whatever that is, and then you get onto your point and you get your point across, that for me means that you're going to be much more effective at what you're trying to say. Um, and I've actually fed that back to if, if in a sales situation, I have had a couple of really positive exchanges with people who have called me out of the blue. And I had to tell them that they'd done such a good job about it because they started in a really genuine way. They framed what they're about to do. They genuinely put themselves in my shoes. They probably made a joke about it. And then they, then they asked, could they make this sales pitch? And it worked because I was talking to a human. I wasn't talking to a script. Um, and so, and then they were able to get their point across. And I think uh, that's a brilliant example because especially in a sales situation, um, we tend to, you know, the default is almost to broadcast and to begin speaking and to assume that we have the right um, or the permission to talk. And what you just said there was someone actually asking, you know, can I now tell you what I want to <laughs> want to interest you in? Um, actually was a you know with a preamble of kind of getting to understand you so building up the trust first and then um explicitly or you know very cleverly asking your permission to proceed further and tell you more um because because if we've said yes then we're you know then we're willing we're willing parties we're going to listen but um if we haven't secured those two things the trust or the permission to keep talking then yeah, it's a really unpleasant experience. It it we don't f- feel like they get us, and therefore they don't have the permission to keep talking at us. Yeah, and I, and I think there's a sense that it, it gives you this right for there to be no consequences in, what, in how you respond either. So again, like most people, wouldn't just shut down a telephone conversation rudely. You know, say. Get, you know, I'm not interested and hang up. And yet the best of us, you know, that's what half the people do. Um, and I think it's because if you haven't had a human exchange with them, you you just don't think there are any consequences to what you say. And, and again, like, it's something I've become really conscious of recently is just trying to remember that in whatever exchange it is, it's someone bringing you up out of the blue, it's someone pausing you in the street to ask something. You should never, ever just cut someone off because they don't deserve that either. And, and actually it's going to probably leave you feeling worse about it as well. But I think people often, especially, I mean, I suppose I'm going to get into some horrible thing about blaming social media and, and whatnot, but people are so used nowadays, there's no consequences to what they say that I do fear it kind of stretches out into day-to-day conversation. And so I'm personally making a concerted effort to try and make all of my exchanges, no matter how big or small, into something that I feel... I can walk away from with my head held high and that I've understood the consequences of what I said um, and that you're not just doing these kind of quick exchanges that don't mean anything. There's an integrity about it, isn't there? I think you're right. I think that it's interesting because we're really rubbish at conflict. We're really rubbish at uh, disagreeing with people. And yet a social media platform creates a sort of a speed of delivery, but also there's still a distance between you and that other person. Uh, you don't know them well enough and it's much easier to therefore 
um, give you know be rude or have a throwaway remark or or you know disagree in a very aggressive way and it does bleed I think sometimes into our day-to-day exchanges in person with people partly I think I wonder whether we've lost the etiquette or without sounding like a um, like an old-fashioned person but I feel like there, there is some protocol and respectful ways of engaging with each other and even if we disagree we don't need to resort to being rude or you know um, or aggressive um, in how we're exchanging and we also don't have to engage I mean and and making that evaluation of do I really need to get into this? Do I need to involve myself in this discussion? Can I stay out of it? And I don't know quite, I don't agree with that person, but I don't know quite how to put it. So what's the choice? What choice do I have here? Am I going to jump in and just, you know, disagree without a proper explanation or will I gracefully sort of bow out of that discussion? That's a really interesting thought actually, because um, I think, I think that does happen. And I think there is this, this um, situation where even if you've had a bad exchange, you can still have a good relationship with the person as long as you've kind of given them the respect that they deserve. But the, also that idea that everybody feels like they do need to have a voice. And I'm not at all saying that people don't deserve a voice. Everybody deserves a voice. But what's interesting to me is the amount of team environments where everybody is told they all need their voice. And I think that's quite interesting because they they do need their voice, but there also needs to be some sort of efficiency to how that voice is then represented. Because often I think some of the confusion and challenges in work situations come when you end up with 20 people around a table and maybe five of them are from the same team and everybody obviously has an opinion. And maybe there needs to be more of people being self-reflective and, and being able to trust other other people to to speak on their behalf where appropriate. Because I think that I'm not quite sure if it's a generational thing or a sector thing, but this idea that sort of decision by committee is the most effective way isn't always the most effective way. And that I, I have a lot of respect for people that say, right, here's here are my thoughts. I'm giving them to you. Can you represent them for me? Because you just don't need me in that conversation. Or similarly, that they have the confidence to say to me, you know what, I can handle this conversation. You feed in through me and I'll go and represent you. So your comment got me thinking about that idea of how people can trust each other with their conversations as well. And there is that need to, you know, to to chime in, but equally not being clear sometimes about, well, who gets to have the ultimate say and what's our part in this? And that, you know, the acceptance that you may not agree with what's being discussed, but the due diligence part is that you have exercised your right to express your opinion or your concern. And sometimes that's the right thing to do. But there are no absolutes either, right? You know, it can be sometimes a discussion needs to be a little bit lengthy. Sometimes you've got to be really tactical and, you know, come up with a really quick, dirty solution that keeps you moving forward. And But I think there's an attachment that we have to ideas and uh, and whether our way is the right way and whether uh, whether we have to agree. We don't always have to agree on stuff. Um, and and how therefore do we not lose sight of what the bigger picture is? What are we actually trying to do here? And if and just because I win this argument, um, is that getting us <laughs> collectively where we need to get to, or or are we just getting bogged down in in a discussion that nobody's going to remember? 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, really fascinating. I really enjoyed what you said there. This has been a really lovely conversation. And as the more we've sort of um, ambled through it, um, I've really enjoyed listening to your perspective and, and the freshness of some of the things that you said. Um, and in wrapping up, what would be one key message about having better conversations that you would like to leave with listeners? I think it's about learning what you enjoy about a conversation and what is most authentic for you so that you you feel that you can go into any conversation and you are still you at the end of it. I think there's something quite important about that and that and it will change and it will adapt, but it's just important that you feel that you you're comfortable with that. But I think also from and from our conversation now, just thinking it through, I think the big thing for me is that you should pr- proactively try and put other people at ease when you're speaking to them and that you should adapt depending on the situation. Um, and that that might not be something that comes naturally, but you can practice and it's, it's, it's something that you can learn and you can adapt and you can improve is this idea that when you walk into a conversation, you can, you can bring the other person with you and that you can help them enjoy it as much as you do or, if neither of you are enjoying it, you can help <laughs> make that better together. But it's this idea of bringing the other person with you and, and sort of practicing that like any other skill. Wonderful. Love that. Thank you, Kate. This has been fantastic. I've really enjoyed it. No, thank you. It's been fascinating. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Better Conversations with me, Siham Cyrene. And if you did, Leaving me a lovely review and rating on Apple Podcast will help me reach more listeners who want to have better conversations at work and in their private lives. You can check out show notes at betterconversations.co forward slash podcast. If you're a regular subscriber, brilliant, lovely to have you back. And if this is your first time, hit subscribe, leave a review and tell a friend. A screenshot and an Instagram story would be going above and beyond and I would be very grateful. Please tag me at Siham Cyrene, all one word, S-E-H-A-A-M-C-Y-R-E-N-E. And of course, I'll tag you right back. So, what would you like to hear my future guests and I talk about? Or perhaps you would like to be my guest because you've got a strong point of view that you'd like to share or kick about with me on the podcast. Drop me a note, podcast at betterconversations.co. I'd love to hear from you. And if you are a leader who knows you could achieve so much more in your career and be way more influential by having better conversations and stronger relationships, then do consider enrolling for my 12-week online course, Leaders who coach. You'll find the curriculum, videos, and a whole load more at leaderswhocoach.today. Thanks for listening. I'm Siham Cyrene, and this has been a better conversation. Mm-hmm.